Hello and welcome back to SIGGRAPH Spotlight. Today, we're talking ray tracing, games technology, real-time, VFX, and everything in between. Led by SIGGRAPH 2020 Real-Time Live Chair Mark Alano, you'll hear insight from guests Sarissa Scott of Unity Technologies, Eric Haynes of NVIDIA, Mike Hardison of Activision Blizzard, and Moen Leo of ILMX Lab. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe for future episodes or leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to help others find us. Take it away, Mark. Hello, my name is Mark Alano, and I'm the SIGGRAPH 2020 Real-Time Live Chair and also faculty associate professor at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, where I run the game development track and the editor-in-chief for the Journal of Computer Graphics Techniques. I've been doing graphics for a while now. My first SIGGRAPH was in 1989. Most of my work is focused on real-time game applications and rendering and GPUs and pretty much everything in that direction. It's my honor to be among this panel of incredible people, each of whom have an impressive body of work. Before we go too deep into your projects, though, I'd love to have each of you tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Mike, can you start things off? My name is Mike Hardison. I am Senior Lighter Compositor for Blizzard Animation, formerly the SIGGRAPH Games Chair for SIGGRAPH in 2015. I've led several projects. A lot of the cinematics that you see coming out of Blizzard come from some of the projects that we've led. I've been involved in SIGGRAPH since... 1989, I believe, as a student volunteer. It's been a wild ride ever since. Previously worked at Sony Pictures Imageworks. I've worked in film and games and television, commercials, you name it. My name is Arissa Scott. I'm a product manager for graphics at Unity Technology. At Unity, I work on rendering, lighting, ray tracing, and a wide range of features that are about making things look gorgeous. I've been at Unity since 2015, though I started out as in services and moved over to graphics. I went to school to be an artist to make video game art. And then along that path, I realized that I was much more a fan of doing PM type work for other people and art for myself. And after I graduated, I worked at games and tech places and worked on kind of mobile apps and UI frameworks. And I like being at Unity because it's a mixture of both. My name is Eric Haynes, and I currently work for NVIDIA. been there for a little while, a few years. Prior to that, I was at Autodesk a very long time. And I started out in ray tracing, and then uh, rasterization became a thing. And I did that for a long time and helped work on a book called Real-Time Rendering. I got interested in ray tracing again in a serious way. So my last project really with NVIDIA, the big one, public one, was being an editor for Ray Tracing Gems. But internally, I've just been kind of flitting here and there and working on things like Minecraft RTX, a little bit consulting on that, and just on a bunch of other little projects and demos and whatnot. Hi, I'm Moen Leo. I work for Lucasfilm, Industrial Light and Magic. been with them for quite a few years now, primarily working as a digital effects supervisor on a bunch of films. Also took an interest in real-time graphics a few years ago, and that led me to do a detour to work with ILMX Lab, which is Lucasfilm's VR and AR entertainment group. And so I spent a couple of years working there in development on some of the projects that XLab did and recently returned to Visual Effects for a project. Let's first answer a question that might be on some listeners' minds. What is exactly real-time ray tracing to you? And what do you think makes ray tracing technology so buzzworthy right now? 
for me, what makes real-time ray tracing so buzzworthy, like right now in particular, is we've seen an uptake on hardware, which is really important for making it happen. And at Unity, our push for real-time ray tracing was in part for iteration speed. And we especially saw in the automotive market, there are a lot of interesting use cases that you don't normally think about, like when you're designing cars and you need to have kind of panels fit right. I think there are a lot of possibilities around having both a lot of precision and much faster iteration speeds. I mean, I can speak to it from a film production perspective because obviously quite some time ago now, like when ray tracing became the standard in offline rendering, it really made a huge shift in the whole industry towards the ability to not only generate more photoreal images, but also to create images in a more predictable way because you really are much closer to simulating what's happening in reality. You're not relying on as many you know, hacks and cheats and stuff. And so it really allowed us to push graphics in a way where you had consistent realism across like a whole body of work and to see that technology now enter a realm where you can do that in real time obviously opens a huge amount of opportunities. Certainly creating better graphics for interactive experiences like games or VR things and things like that, but also the ability to generate photoreal or close to real photoreal content now so quickly that you can respond to creative feedback really like on the spot when you're doing reviews potentially or some of the stuff we'll probably get into as well with like LED screens and stuff like that. Well, I've loved ray tracing for a very long time, but it's always been slow, right? You know, you have these 7,000 spheres and it takes two hours to put on your screen kind of thing back in the 80s. And so I was pretty happy when ray tracing suddenly had consumer support, as it were, with NVIDIA, where the same database that used to have 7,000 spheres, I can have 48 million spheres, and yeah, I'm getting real-time performance, full screen, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to sound like a marketing demo, but that was really exciting to me to see, just because it was like, wow, in the 80s, you know, it was so slow. <laughs> and now it's just crazy fast. I mean, we know about Moore's Law and all the rest, but actually dedicating transistors to an actual process like ray tracing makes a huge difference, for me at least. I really am surprised, actually, how quickly it came about in a way, because I really thought it was going to be a few more years down the line. But with some of the denoising techniques and so on getting used, that's, I think, really sort of kicked it a few years ahead. The ability to get pretty complicated scenes with pretty complicated algorithms that would normally be noisy, you can clean them up very nicely with, with various uh, post-processing techniques. What's exciting to me, actually, is the fact that this ray tracing hardware it's just a tool, right? You know, there's so many different ways you can use rays. And so what I'm really excited about actually is to see how people will abuse the hardware. You know, how will they sort of go, oh, you know, we could use it for this other weird thing. And, and that'll sort of hopefully catch on a bit, you know, as like, oh, here's this idea. And then that means the hardware vendors will respond to that and maybe open up that capability and so on. So yeah, it's just an exciting time. Whenever you get some new hardware change of any sort, it kind of changes the landscape and suddenly things that were so expensive before, it's like, oh, wait, we can rethink that problem entirely. With the current evolution of real-time ray tracing moving into a lot of real-time engines, there are a lot of people that are getting exposure to ray tracing that it wouldn't have been a possibility for them before. Like when we released our own experimental kind of built on GitHub, one thing I found delightful was how quickly user created like a pinball visualization that just showed off some really lovely reflections. And in games, we're used to faking things in so many ways that you don't even, 
you're not even fully aware of all of like the beauty and the bounce light and all of this just gorgeousness that's part of reality that you just miss out on. So I have a follow-up question for you, Eric. You were known in your early career for ray tracing, very definitely not real-time, as you pointed out. But now you've moved to a graphics hardware company, NVIDIA, and that's got to be pretty different. So how has that changed your focus? I don't wait around as long. Uh, (laughs) Less coffee breaks. Yeah. I was reading about some indie company that said, oh, okay, well, you know, we have a baking system and typically an artist, we need to do a 14 minute bake. And that's kind of our iteration cycle that they can go look at it after 14 minutes looks half decent. And they said, oh, well, let's try the ray tracing hardware, throw that at it instead of CPUs, which kind of boggles my mind. It, well, they went down to 16 seconds or so they say, but <laughs> anyway, which was just incredible to me that suddenly, uh, you know, artists are getting much less Starbucks breaks, but are able to iterate and basically get a lot better quality very quickly. And also I agree with Arisa that It's exciting to just see that like, oh, you can just use these effects now. I mean, there's tons of ray tracing algorithms and so on. It's not like we're just going to go down to, oh, there's this simple algorithm and it's the only thing we do. There's photon mapping and there's ambient occlusion. There's all kinds of crazy things you can do with rays as tools for different kind of algorithms. So it's not like algorithms go away. But like she says, there's not all these kludges. There's not like the oh, you want a, well, let's see, you want a reflection. Well, we can do some weird thing in screen space and kind of derive things. And if you don't look too closely, it'll look okay. So it's just nice to be able to kind of finally just use this stuff without having to think too hard about it. That is actually also really one of the things that ray tracing in general changed for digital effects. It took so much of the guesswork out of trying to analyze why something doesn't look right. Because when you have artists trying to, manually cheat all these things like bounce lights and fake reflections and stuff like that. And you look at a shot and you go, something's not right here, but I don't exactly know what it is. And so with ray tracing, with all these things that take you closer to reality, you can really debug it. You can look at it and go like, what are the things that we're not doing right here that don't match what's happening in the real world? So Mike, I saw that you started in production animation at Pixel Magic, I think, and Sony Pictures Imageworks. But you spent the last decade and a half at Activision Blizzard. So what prompted that shift to real-time and games? The shift into games coming from production was mostly because I began to see the shift in the capabilities of what you could do in visual effects and the capabilities of what we could do with the renders. Before, there was this belief that games were not really the cutting edge or subpar. They were just because you were constrained by the, the real-time aspect of it and the limitations of the computers at the time. But what was beginning to happen, especially with Blizzard, was they were starting to branch out and starting to create cinematics and whatnot that were sort of a film-level quality and then trying to take that film-level quality and inject it back into the, the games that they had. So we were working at sort of two different ends of the spectrum trying to merge the two together. That was mostly the thing. I also saw troubles starting to brew in the visual effects industry where there was outsourcing starting to branch outside of Los Angeles. One of the big caveats was, uh, I believe, Sony Imageworks was moving over to New Mexico. And that was something I wasn't really excited about doing at the time. And the offer from Blizzard came along. And it sounded very interesting and very intriguing. At first, I said no, but then they they adopted RenderMan and Nuke as their 
primary packages, which told me that they were serious about what they wanted to do. And that was the deciding factor for that. From then on, ironically, we branched over into real-time rendering. We're converging more and more with the game engine, and we're having more voice and more impact as far as that's concerned. So renders that were originally taking somewhere between 24 to sometimes 48 hours to render one frame sometimes, we're now getting down to six minutes, seven minutes, sometimes a little bit more. But the amount of iteration that we're having is definitely a huge bonus. And as Moen said before, it has increased our ability to not only do iterations, but to sort of trust what the ray tracing software is doing to a certain extent. Instead of having to sort of hack it in, hack in different effects or different lighting abilities, it's helped quite a bit. So I saw that you were on the Computer Animation Festival Electronic Theater Jury this year. What's it been like to reimmerse yourself in some of that hardcore production content after doing stuff connected to games for so long? I was impressed by the level of quality that was coming out, especially by smaller teams. At Blizzard Animation, we have a team of 300 people, but some of these other productions that we saw through the jury was really, really well done. And it was only two or three people doing it. It was an eye-opener, especially because it shows there's a lot of real-time that was going on. There was a lot of various other rendering engines that were happening. It's becoming easier to create or to get past the technical and into the creative. And so you're seeing smaller and smaller teams able to do really high level quality, especially compared to a few years ago. So it's quite impressive. So I think I might transition a little bit to a topic that's near to to my heart, real-time live. Moen, I know you've been working in film production for, you know, a couple decades. You mentioned your stint with ILM XLab, and I know you worked on a project with Epic Games to bring some Star Wars content to real-time live in 2018. So how is putting together a six-minute live demo different from your normal production process that you've had in for the rest of your career? Oh, that, that uh, SIGGRAPH real-time live demo was quite exciting. And I have to say, um, Epic Games really like the people that did a lot of the, the heavy lifting, like fantastic, not just engineers, but artists that, you know, we work with together very, very closely. Um, Jerome Plateau did a lot of the lighting and environment work there. and. It's intense. It's intense trying to put something like that together and rehearsing it, knowing that you only get sort of one shot at it when you're up there. And there were quite a lot of moving parts with that particular demo. You know, it was basically a virtual production demo with both the performer and myself sort of as the uh, cameraman in VR in a virtual scene with a ray-traced camera view at the same time. It was fun. I mean, we rehearsed the hell out of it, and it came together. It was definitely um, a bit of a thrill. <laughs> In terms of the, the content, I mean, we, we were fortunate that we were able to lean on the GDC demo with a lot of the initial content. That was where Epic first showed off the real-time ray tracing in Unreal Engine. We had a lot of the assets already, and we were basically able to sort of build more a virtual production-focused demo on the back of that. Arissa, I know that you had a piece in Real-Time Live last year showing off Unity's real-time ray tracing work, and then you've been on the 
jury for Real Time Live this year. Can you tell us a little bit about those experiences? So last year, being part of Real Time Live was a lot of fun. It was also very intense. It's a great performance to be a part of. And I know with our tech at that time, you know, we were in early days and we're hoping everything would go smoothly. And we're very happy that we didn't click any wrong buttons to make anything crash while we were live on stage. Because that's, I think, always a strong fear of, you know, what if you look at something sideways and then it explodes? And then, you know, my personal point of stress was actually during my talking bits, I had two algorithms to reference of like, you know, these groups were all involved and, you know, thanks to NVIDIA and ILM and all these great things. And like, I do not by nature remember algorithms and who has contributed to them. Not quite how I think as, you know, more of an artist type. So being part of the real-time live jury this year was a lot of fun. Though I definitely found that when I was reviewing pieces, I totally had the bias of having been through it and seen people kind of evolve what they presented over time. Every submission I looked at from a very optimistic of like, oh, I think I see something really interesting here. Oh, I could totally see how this could be plussed. So usually I looked at a lot of the submissions from the point of view of like how much better I thought they could get and what potential I thought they had because we had such a... It's such an awesome range of submissions, and it was really cool seeing how different people presented themselves. And there were some where it's like, oh, you have something cool here, but you're not quite talking about it in a strong enough way, which was also super informative for me when I thought about how we wrote up our submission. Yeah, I've, I've definitely found in my involvement with Real Time Live that the submission is just the first step of the process. There's very much a collaborative bit after that where we try and make sure that your presentation is, is going to be as, I hate to overuse the word, but awesome as possible when the live show hits the stage. So Real Time Live has been part of SIGGRAPH for the past decade. So a question for everyone, what in your opinion has been the impact of Real Time Live on the SIGGRAPH community? And what's maybe your favorite Real Time Live demo that you've seen? I feel like Real Time Live is this great gathering of energy and a great entry point for re-enthusiasm around what's possible in real time and seeing a bunch of different ideas come together and different people presenting their work is always really inspiring and reinvigorating though i definitely can't think of a favorite one off the cuff makes me want to go rewatch a bunch of them what i thought was really interesting about real time live is that it participating in it there was definitely this really exciting mix of both being inspired by other content but also feeling sort of a healthy sense of competition there, like knowing that you really, really wanted to make the presentation go as smoothly as possible. And the level of the work is is often so high and you do feel inspired by some of the other stuff that you see. Having been part of a real-time live presentation that really had a lot of energy of like Lucasfilm and Epic Games and a lot of people involved, like trying to put something very complex together was exciting. But the stuff that I'm often most excited by is when you have like a really small team or an individual just with a really clever idea of putting something up there that you got back. Never thought you could do that. That's really cool. Yeah, I definitely think one of the fun things about Real Time Live is the range of who you see doing the demos. They do range from big teams to an individual with their AR app. I was looking over the old demo list, actually. <laughs> and the things I remember are like ray tracing demos from Unity and Unreal and so on. Again, I feel bad saying this because it's like, oh, here I am 
talking about an NVIDIA thing, but I liked their Gogan demo because it was so out of like, oh, that that was wild. <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought you could do things like that, which is kind of amazing. You sort of paint some strokes and you kind of say, that's a hill, that's water, that's sky, that's a cloud. And it does its best to give you something that maybe kind of fits. And I actually kind of enjoy breaking it, frankly. But it's nonetheless just impressive that you can kind of take very simple direction, like, you know, I'll put some put a trail here, put a house there kind of thing. And it'll it'll do its best to sort of suck in a deep learning imagery that, you know, its little neural networks over time to try to throw in some images that might look like something kind of reasonable. So I enjoyed that one, I thought, just because it was so like, wow, where'd, where'd that come from? <laughs> you know, didn't expect that to work. I have to say the real-time colonoscopy is definitely seared into my memory as well. So. I loved the energy that that team has for talking about games for doctors. And I think uh, Sam, who's the CEO, I believe, has like such positivity and energy while talking about things that slightly horrify me. I thought that was really neat. I thought that was uh, an example of this technology spreading out beyond visual effects, beyond games. And it's to the level where it's, it's able to be utilized by the medical industry much more than it used to. And other places that that's the really exciting part is seeing this branch out into other areas that we didn't expect it to be. That's really going to be where the the really fun parts of it are going to happen. The innovative things are going to happen. So I'm excited to see that. We've had a a number of examples of real-time ray tracing as certainly a hot new technology and AI as exhibited in the the Gauguin real-time live demo as, as another example of uh, hot new technology. And as anyone who has been doing graphics for a decade or two or more knows that graphics is a field where, where these technology changes kind of sweep over us. So how has, has your work shifted over the past decade as things have changed? Have the changes in, say, the past decade or so made your work harder or easier or just different? Well, definitely a lot less coffee breaks. That is true. For our end, as we're seeing the convergence between what we consider to be pre-rendered and then real-time, it's neat because we're able to influence the game in certain ways with our content and the things that you know we bring to the table and vice versa as well. So there's been a lot more collaboration. There's a lot more uh, parallel vision that's happening with the game teams and with the what we consider to be the pre-rendered teams. So that's been very exciting. We are having a lot more iterations. We're having a lot more feedback as well because of that. So it's good and bad sometimes. It depends on how you look at it. I'm really excited about where we are right now with, with computer graphics. I feel like there was maybe sort of a bit of a lull almost where between like five and 10 years ago where there was incremental advances on stuff, but there was, it didn't feel like there were really big breakthroughs that changed workflows. And what's been happening over the last five years with real-time rendering and game engines entering like visual effects and linear content creation is really changing so much of how we work. And above everything else, I think it, it sort of made things more collaborative uh, than they were before because more frequently now, and I hope that will continue, you can bring people together and iterate on stuff together rather than saying, okay, I'm going to give you some feedback. You're going to go away for like half a day. You're going to implement that, render it, and then send it back to me, and then I'm going to give some other feedback. And so the more we can sort of 
really huddle around the same way that you do on a film set and bring people together and make changes sort of interactively, the more fun it is. And what, what it's meant for me personally is that I feel like for, for the first time in a long time that I'm actually really hands-on touching the content much more again than, than I was. If rendering takes like 20 minutes and I need to supervise a whole team of people, I, I spend very little time on the box. But when I can actually get in there and you know, just play around with some stuff myself in real time, it, it is more fun and I'm more excited again about being on the box than I've been in a long time. Yeah, I have the same feeling that really there was, you know, time maybe 10 years ago where there was just a lot of interest in mobile, which is great on one level, but it was kind of like, who cares what's going on, you know, with GPU rendering and whatnot. It's, you know, it's all about mobile. And so it was really all about mobile chips catching up with what you could do on a PC. It just kind of felt like, eh, not much is happening. The thing actually that I was trying to think of what has changed in my workflow in the past 10 years. And the one obscure thing, but it's actually made a big difference in a lot of ways, is just the fact that you can run WebGL in a browser now, which sounds minor, like, oh, who cares? We all have GPUs and whatnot. But you can do things like quickly share little programs. It's great to have programs where, oh, okay, I've read this paper, and oh, look, they have some shader toys I can go just play with. You know, you can just go to a site and play with the parameters and actually visualize what the heck the effect is doing and so on. Look at the code right there. And that kind of ability to share code and to share visualizations by, I just upload it onto a website is like, is awesome. Basically, it's so much nicer than just being able to, well, I have this paper and, you know, if you go implement it or you run this special demo that might or might not run on your system, WebGL just kind of runs on everything, including your phone. So that to me is big. I've been using it lately, actually, just with researchers of just writing little programs to visualize stuff to just say, here, okay, oh, you want to think about this, that, the other problem? Okay, we'll put up some boxes and we'll show the parameters on the screen and you can see what's changing. And that's been for me as a programmer, a big deal. I feel like on the on the engine side, one thing that's been exciting is as we've had these kind of technology changes happen, is a lot of our focus also has to be on, on usability, accessibility, and scalability. Not just having all of this technology, but how do we make sure that a wide range of people can play with it and experiment with it? And that, you know, as we build things, we're trying to make it so that you don't have to change how you work, that you can just kind of push up even further that you can target very high end while targeting kind of a wide range of platforms, you know, making things more accessible for artists to fulfill their vision, I think is also just exceptionally exciting. What advice would you give to students and young professionals who are looking to break into computer graphics? The thing that I didn't know as a student was how wide the range of job you can have is. Like, I think when you go to college, you have this idea about who you're going to be and what your career is like, and you really don't know the full scope of what's out there. And especially with real-time graphics, there's so many industries, you know, like we talked a bit about medical, but I mean, there's, you know, like automotive and architectural and, you know, there's games and film. There's so many different places you can end up. So I think being open to that is good. And, you know, even at Unity, we have, we have test engineers. And a lot of times when you think of QA at a lot of companies, that's sort of a, people will frame it as kind of a monotonous job. But in graphics, a lot of our test engineers are pretty much just technical artists that have to try out all of our features and give them a very thorough run through. And that's a very that's the kind of role that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily assume would be a good fit for them just based on the title. So I think it's important to think about what you want to be doing and see what's out there. I would say one of the most important things that I think I didn't realize until I 
really started working in the in the industry was the, the importance of collaboration. And so I would say students practicing collaboration in teams as much as possible is so important because when you work in the industry, like any industry, whether it's games or film, you're pretty much never going to work alone on something. And so understanding how you fit into a team, how you communicate, how you do handoffs properly in a way that what you receive and what you hand off to a team partner is working as critical. And I think that's something quite often people think like, oh, what we're looking for is someone who shows that they can do everything. And that's great if somebody can do that. But but quite often it's more important that they can show that they can work within a team and really fulfill that role in a team. I know when we were setting up our game development track and the class where the artists and the programmers work together, one of the things that I often said when when sort of pitching the idea of doing this was that you know for so much of what you do in school you work alone and if you work with other people and you get caught then you fail and then once you graduate if you can't work with other people then you fail so you really need that experience 100% agree with that make sure you turn to the person next to you in line and you know say hi and just Try to have a meaningful conversation about what they're doing and just learn what's out there because everybody at that conference is doing something that you're, you should know about or should be interested in if you're interested in graphics. My other pet peeve, which I'll mention, please don't do this, is to send me a LinkedIn invite and not say anything in an introductory message. It's sort of like, well, why do you want to <laughs> why do you want to contact me? And if you say, oh, I saw your talk, or oh, I'm interested in talking about this, or oh, I like blah, 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 or something, that makes a huge difference. So don't be that person. <laughs> That's about my only bit of advice. Yeah, I think with things like LinkedIn, connect with intent and connect to learn things from other people. And rather than just a lot of people seem to collect other humans online, which doesn't actually get you anywhere. Yeah, I think a lot of students are scared by the word networking. And I try and tell them it just means don't lose track of your friends. Wherever they end up, they are your network. Or the people you meet at conferences, wherever they end up, they are your network. Well, I'll piggyback on what Moen and you said. Basically, it's communication. You are not an island when you are working in the industry. And it's important, too, to collaborate with the group to make sure that you're part of the team. And on top of that, you're always a student. There's always something new to learn. There's always some aspect of your field to learn. And a lot of the things that I've learned have actually come from my colleagues. And it's important to be open to that. It's important to sit there and collaborate and learn together and to build one another up in that regard. Stay in contact. Don't be afraid to turn to the person in line at SIGGRAPH and introduce yourself because those friends that I made way back in 1989 are still around. They're still in the industry and they're still great sources of inspiration. They're still great sources of job-related opportunities. I remember being in school and having this limited group of people that shared the same interest in computer graphics. It was so new. And it was just fantastic when you finally found someone who shared that same level of enthusiasm that you had for computer graphics. Those friends have, have stuck with me. Stay in contact with them. Find out what they're doing. See what they're up to. And from those friends, you are introduced to even more friends, even more colleagues. So you're, you're never an island in this industry. Any 
final thoughts or comments about real-time live or real-time ray tracing? I think one of the biggest things that happened to me in my career was actually joining SIGGRAPH as a student volunteer. This is where I made a lot of contacts. This is where I made a lot of friends. And this is where I really grew the most was through SIGGRAPH, through volunteering. I w- as a student, I would not be afraid. It's fun. It was great. It was a blast. It was back in, I think the, my first one was uh, New Orleans. So that may have had something to do with it. But just being completely inundated with the latest advances in computer graphics and those people and being in contact with the people that were helping paving the way is something that I wouldn't take lightly. I would definitely, if you are interested in computer animation, then dig deep and you know apply to SIGGRAPH as a volunteer. Yeah, I have to agree. The uh, volunteer experience was good for me. The thing also that I found early on in my career is just going to SIGGRAPH and again, of course, talking to people, but also sort of getting out there and trying to meet up with, you know, like-minded people and so on. It was a huge thing for me. I mean, there were people doing ray tracing, but just a few of us, you know, and so sort of gathering together and talking about things like that is very supportive. It's very like, oh, and energizing, you know, you get back and you're like, okay, I got 28 things I want to do now. So yeah, just finding your tribe and all that is all to the good. One of the things that I would say I would caution about the use of like always sort of chasing the whatever the coolest new technology is like, be aware of what problem you're trying to solve when you're applying that technology. And, you know, if you're trying to create the most photorealistic render, be it for like a film or a game or something like that, then that's straightforward that you want to do that. But quite often that can sort of at other parts of the process become a distraction. And so one of the things that I sort of, that always anchors me again is what I love is when on a film, when sets are planned, the art department usually makes these white card models, like these little miniature models of what the sets will be out of white cardboard. And you stick a little lipstick camera in there and everyone stands up and looks at them. And the reason that they're just white cardboard is not that they couldn't put like a texture or color or lights on it. It's because it focuses that conversation on the decision that has to be made there. And so in pre-production and virtual production, sometimes there's a tendency for us to go like, oh, let's turn on all the knobs and make this look as photoreal as it can. When that's not the decision we have to make at that point, you know? And so quite often really knowing like, what do you turn on? What do you turn off to get people to focus on the decisions that are made at that point is worth thinking about. It's not always good to turn everything on at a stage where it may not be ready for that. I agree, but I think that comes with experience. I think if you're starting out, turning on all the bells and whistles to know how they work, to know what you to know what the technology can yield you is great. It's the experience that allows you to narrow that down to the focus that you want. So I would say for more experienced users, yes. And I think that comes naturally. For newer people, I think it's not bad to experiment, to branch out and to try to see how far you can get with what you have. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I would just say that if your foundation isn't solid, then turning on global illumination is not, it does sort of an odd thing because it sometimes can make something seem slightly better than it is, but the foundation isn't there. And so I think it's just still, it's, it's critical that beyond all the technology, sort of the, the artistic foundation, the creative foundation is still solid. Thank you again for joining us today. And to everyone who's listening, I hope 
you learned a bit more about real time and about ray tracing and about real time ray tracing. You can catch all of the past real time live shows on the ACM SIGGRAPH YouTube channel if you want to see what's been demoed in, in the past. And this year's show will be online and virtual along with the rest of SIGGRAPH. So we, we hope to see lots of cool new demos and talks and more later this summer. Wow, completely blown away by this incredible group. For more information on the people or projects featured, ACM SIGGRAPH, or the upcoming Virtual SIGGRAPH 2020 Conference, check out the links in our show notes. See you next time.